Hello and welcome to Pod Songs, where we interview inspirational people in service to others as inspiration for a new song. Today, my guests are the musicians Fire Kit, Heidi Creek, and Dylan Hodges, and their guests are Lee Camp and Brad Chrysler. Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on one second, get in the window straight here. Okay. Hello. Hello. <laughs> We're floating in the abyss today. Uh-huh. I see that. I was going, come down to earth for me. <laughs> we, have a couple, we have a couple, you know, options here. Look at this. Well, no, 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 no. No, that's, I'm getting motion sickness. <laughs> the, first, well, the first one. Yeah. Is he likes the abyss. Yeah. Um, good to see you. Yeah, it's great to see you guys. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Good. You said it was storming, so your internet might take a hit. It is. So if it if I do drop out, just carry on the show without me. I've been I am really superfluous to this episode. It's uh, a very unusual episode in that you contacted me. Well, I was in contact with you first to get you on the show with a guest of your choice. But in the meantime, mm-hmm. workaholics that you are, right. beat beat me to it. And you on another podcast, you got inspiration for another song, and you went ahead and recorded it. And now you've already done it. Yes. So wow. we, we, uh, we got, well, we, we hit you up and didn't immediately, like you didn't get responses right away or something. Yeah. And so uh, in the meantime, we did get really busy and uh, this happened. And I was like, actually, this song is perfect for what you're doing because of how it came about, which I'm sure we can talk to the guys about when they uh, get in here. But yeah, we're... <laughs> We're just, we're glad to be here. I'm glad it, uh, I'm glad it worked out, you know, time. You're my my dream guests. You know, this is, oh, if if everyone was like you, I could do do 300 episodes a year and not break a sweat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, this is, uh, this is exciting because it's like, it's friends of ours, you know, I don't know how the, the podcast is with a friend, but, um, I think this is, I'm, I'm pretty excited to have like a. Because, you know, a conversation about touchy topics with friends, mm. like religion and politics and stuff like that. The things that, <laughs> are, you know, you're not really supposed to uh, talk about, um, mm. but. Uh, let's get, let's get into that into in a minute. Cause I've got to, yeah. you guys are so interesting on your own. I need to, I need 25 minutes rattling off questions okay. for you guys. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Yeah. You guys are uh, dynamite now. Thank you. Thanks. We keep busy. Yeah. I think um, I was watching your In the Gravel Yard video, which uh, on re- on repeat, what a weird experience that was. <laughs> yes. Terrifying. Yeah. That was freaky. Yeah. How did, yes. how did you do that? Um, so In the Gravel Yard is like we, we reworked an old song um, and made it somewhere like Folky's Radiohead sonically. But for the visualizer with the, the video, which is, I think, what you're talking about, um, we took uh, public domain footage of Metropolis, um, which just entered, you know, it was a German um, expressionist film, uh, just entered the public domain this year. And there's a famous robot dance scene in the in the film where uh, an android's on stage. She looks like a person. She's an android. She's dancing on stage with like tassels on and stuff like that in front of an audience of men in like tuxedos. 
and suits who were just like breathing heavily watching her dance. And so I thought it would be interesting to find the old footage with modern technology. Um, and so I deep faked Heidi, Heidi's face over every single character in the scene. Terrified. And I didn't, I didn't like spend a lot of time like nitpicking the deep faking. So there's artifacts, it like breaks up sometimes. And I thought mm -hmm. that adds to the added effect, to yeah. it. But it's the footage it original because it also looks very sharp and very, was the yeah, AI generated footage that was enhanced somehow? Yeah, so I, I, um, I took the AI footage and on its own, I took the AI footage, I colorized it and I enhanced it. And then I deep faked it, which made it look kind of crappy. And yeah, just on the back wow. end. And, and on top of that, I also took the isolated vocals from our track where we're singing in the gravel yard and made the mouths move. So you see a whole audience of men all in unison saying the lyrics of the song. As they're like breathing, watching this woman dance. It's very strange. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. But this kind of ties into, I'm just, it's a random list of questions. So I'm just dropping in anyway. But yeah, it does kind of, it does kind of tie in with that, um, that TED talk I saw you do, where you talk about the, the folk process, where mm -hmm. songs get reused. Like uh, the Woody Guthrie song was borrowed from a, was a borrowed, borrowed found song. Yes. Yes. Still going on today. That's mm -hmm. right. So that, that song in particular is, is the perfect example of it. Cause like Woody Guthrie's song, this land is your land is a big deal in, in America. Um, and it's sort of associated with, it's like a second national anthem, essentially mm -hmm. something that talk, but it comes from, um, a Carter family song. Uh, and weirdly enough, the Carter family song comes from an even older spiritual song. And that's a good example of the folk process is that the melodies often stay the same, but the lyrics change depending on whose hands they're in to adapt to like cultural and societal norms just of the time. Um, so that's what the TED Talk focused on. And we, we do that uh, with a lot of our art that we make, like on our Last album, we had a song called Good and Greasy, which is a public domain song. So we rewrote it about consumerism, um, but it was originally a song just about like cooking bacon. <laughs> like mm -hmm. it, I did a song about cooking bacon. But when, we made did you when did you record that TED Talk? Because it said six months ago, but probably you recorded it a bit before then. So when it was a, it was almost uh, exactly a year ago or something. Or I think it was like September. Oh, September, yeah, last year. Summer. So so this was kind of before Chat GPT. Now the Mid journey and all this, mm -hmm. the AI vocals. So, you, what do you think of it now? Yeah, of the of the folk process, and yeah, yeah, because um, all these songs are dropping, you know, with Lennon singing McCartney exactly songs. Right. And, no, yeah. it's it's uh, it's so true. I could I could give the TED talk again, <laughs> and it would you're feel, gonna have to. It would feel like a, it's amazing how over the course of six months it feels like so much has changed. Yeah, because at the time I, was, I gave the TED talk, the images that that these image generators were putting out looked terrible and now they're like photorealistic. So yeah, um, to some extent, I think that some parties can get too litigious with their music. Um, I think of us as artists, uh, as creators. And like, once we've created something, I think the world kind of owns it. Okay. Uh, that's, that's not the opinion that, you know, a lot of artists I know. So share. You're, you're happy with all this. Uh, you're welcome. It's part of the creative as another tool. You think? Yeah. Because I could, hopefully I'm looking forward to the time in three or four months when I can just upload the conversation 
and then I'll download the <laughs> yeah. song. Exactly. And I'll, yeah. release that, and I'll be able to get up to 300 a year that way. Yes, that would be awesome. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I just, I think that while, while it's good to protect creators and um, content creators and musicians and stuff like that, making sure they have a, a way to earn income. I get, I get that we all have to live under capitalism and, and the society, but I also think that art belongs to the, to the people. Um, and so I am still sort of grappling with what my personal opinion is on yes. it's changing. Uh, AI and art. Um, I do think that one way around it is by crediting people mm -hmm. who are sampled from or borrowed from at the very minimum. And uh, just credit isn't often enough. It's also good to, if you are making money off of something that directly takes from something else, to give them ownership or equity in what you're doing. Mm, okay. Well, uh, also just checking out your Instagram, just to jump to Heidi for a minute. Don't like the idea <laughs> of you sitting there. Because <laughs> I know what Dylan's, he's a creative. You also doing these these amazing Instagram. Uh, yes. Oh. That's so, and, and dressing Dylan up. I, I know he's not dressing himself up. <laughs> but in these amazing clothes as well, which is. Yeah. <laughs> so you're a lucky man, Dylan. I wish gardening stuff well i mean we spend a ton of time in the garden um and we it's been our new special interests um interests i feel like i have special interests and dylan has um things that he gets like totally focused on oh yeah i get obsessive i can tell that yes yeah. yes and so um one of the things that he has been um, very focused on has been AI artwork. Oh yeah, just because of all the stuff that you're talking about now. Mm -hmm. So he's been using that to make all of these photos of us looking amazing and cool. And um, he uses them with photos that we'll take in the garden mm -hmm. and uses them with photos of our actual flowers that we're growing and things like that. Yeah, I like the mixed medium stuff. I like mixing old with new and combining things just like with uh, Metropolis. Uh, it's a real red cool. line through your work, yeah. Yeah, and so we'll be out in the garden, and I take some pictures of Heidi, and then I'll come inside and like put them in Photoshop, and then run them through Stable Diffusion or Mid Journey, and just mix the media, and so it gives it an interesting texture, much like the gravel yard video. Yeah, yeah, and I wanted to say about the gravel yard video that in the movie Metropolis, the like a big overarching concept in the film is that technology is bad. And technology ah, is evil okay. innately and it will take over. And so I think it was also um, really cool to be using AI um, at the same time as that scene where technology is kind of seducing the bourgeoisie. And um, I think the AI is kind of the modern take on that. And we're always trying to bring a modern take onto um, something like public domain music, something from the past. We're trying to bring that back in a modern setting. Yeah, in that scene, you literally have an Android, you know, shake <laughs> shake it, money maker, or whatever you want to call it, for for an audience of like rich upper world, yeah. as they're called. And mm -hmm. like, you, guys are, you guys are so accelerant because I know Dylan, you're you're won guitar competitions at 11 years old after playing the guitar for a, for a couple of months, and then you've gone through that. You've gone through bluegrass country and, and your album that's most successful is this uh, kind of experimental country is that the right yes way? yes mm -hmm. and now you've kind yeah. of left that arc you're just you're already this society's quickening but you're you're taking a 
a big dose of it, no? I get really bored. Uh, so, so like I, I, I did guitar, you know, just hyper focused on guitar for like five years, you know, or I guess from the time I was 11 to I was 17. And when I was 17, I won the national guitar championship. So after that, I was like, well, I got, I moved on to something else and moving on to something else was like writing songs and then, um, you know, trying to bring pop music with, with the bluegrass music that I, um, grew up listening to, uh, was what became fire kid. And that's how I met Heidi was from the first fire kid album. She was doing something similar with uh, classic country and pop. So she, we just were like, okay, let's do this together. Mm. Okay. And then now you're doing, so what's the way to describe the, in the gravel yard? Because that's not really, what sound is that? What are you, have we got a, a new genre here? Or? Whoa. We've been calling it experimental Appalachian music. Uh, experiment, but there's no good, there's no good real way for me to describe it it's still influenced by traditional roots american roots music and bluegrass and folk but it's also pulls from um all different kinds of things i mean the drum the drum style feels like a bill withers song mm. strings feel like you know um elliot smith nick drake uh radiohead kind of when they did acoustic stuff mm. um and there's a lot of reharmonizations that are going on in it that you wouldn't find very many places. Meaning like the melody is a traditional bluegrass melody, but the chords behind it um, are totally irreverent to that. No, so it, can, it just goes back and forth between major and minor interchangeably, uh, which creates like a stressful. I know it's from top with the video. I'm still disorientated <laughs> with, your, with your background. I'm not going to sleep very well tonight. <laughs> well that's because you had it on repeat <laughs> oh my god so there's never a dull moment in the house then Heidi no no not no. with our two cats we, yeah we have two cats and this guy bouncing around no I don't get bored anyway I could I could sit still and play Zelda for like a but, month but and I'd be fine probably <laughs> a good time to mention like how we keep how we keep it uh, keep up with our own tempo here we started streaming on Twitch um, in 2021, which is primarily like a, a live streaming website for people who game. Mm -hmm. And so we came on the platform and started uh, just playing music live because we weren't playing shows. And uh, we loved it. It felt like we found our thing. Mm -hmm. And so we brought now and we stream four days a week on Twitch. Um, Mondays, we just garden for a long time. And then Tuesdays, we cook uh wednesdays we have like we play games or you know do like wow. and then thursdays we do music so we get to do all of our interests and uh you know get paid for it <laughs> mm -hmm. it's awesome and you instead of i feel like when we played shows when we would tour before we would be on stage and we'd see people for maybe two hours and we give them our set and we maybe make some jokes or have some banter in between and maybe do like uh meet and greet at the end but that's all that that's all the interaction that we're going to have and that the audience is going to have with us. But then when we started streaming, we could really bring them into our home, into our life and just kind of be in here with us, which was really cool because we can really show them a lot more than just playing some songs and a few jokes that we've made a couple of times before, you know? Well, right. <laughs> yeah. Really laughing at Well, yeah. that's how I pitch pod songs to artists as well is because everyone's getting, you know, 30, everyone's creating these 30 second snippets, 10 seconds and, 
cutting up the same or but it's, you don't get really a depth understanding of the artist's interests outside mm -hmm. of music and this is a way to you know talk to you for an hour an hour and a half about you know what makes you as a person what helps makes the person that makes the art mm -hmm. that's exactly right yeah, um, I think for us, I like I like Twitch, and you are a uh, enjoyer of long form content as a podcast man, um, and so I think long form content is really special. It feels distinctly different from the other side of modern content, which is like TikTok or Instagram Reels, you know, where it's like very short. So I think there's got to be some sort of happy medium between like being able as a content creator to to have long form content where you can actually like make money and build relationships and have a community that support shoot, but also have the discoverability of that like short 15 second thing. Um, it's, it really seems like it's, it's both. And it's tough out there to be a musician these days. So we're fortunate that we, you know, enjoy doing a lot of different things with our music. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Plus you have such a stylish home and wonderful garden. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we 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 worked we worked hard on it. Um, yeah. It was kind of helpful when we bought it. So the first year we moved into the house, we were like fixing it up. Mm -hmm. It's it's nineteen it's nineteen fifties, and we just left the old appliances in it. You know, that's uh, everything you're pulling from the nineteen fifties and the nineteen. You're pulling from the. I past. know. Mm -hmm. It's just it's a red line right through the. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's what we like. Yeah, I can't help it. I guess it was natural, because um. You're also doing this uh, as well as four days a week twitching and uh, doing all the other things you do. You're also doing this PBS show, Reconnecting Roots, mm -hmm. which is also a, and an accompanying podcast as if there wasn't enough work. Uh, yes. So you, you're, no, you're no stranger to creative podcasts. It's a no, I, I love podcasts. Yeah. Um, Reconnecting Roots. Uh, we just finished season three, just aired uh, on PBS here in America. Uh, and I think anybody can watch it on PBS.org. It's free, but it's called Reconnecting Roots. And it's, uh, it's exactly what we do, uh, except for we, we met some people who make a TV show about it. So they take uh, a topic, any topic, it could be trains uh, or transportation, and they will show the origins of transportation in America and how it became what it is today. And it's just another example of combining old and new. And so we do the music for it. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it was like the perfect fit. But is there a song for each episode? Because yes. Mm -hmm. an yes. Old song. And so, mm -hmm. so for each episode, there's a theme and um, we um, take an old public domain song and completely rewrite it and reproduce it in a modern way. Wow. So what kind of songs have you done just to give the audience? Yeah. Um, I can let you hear them. You can totally keep them in the episode if you want to hear it. Okay. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah. Uh, let's pull it up. So season three, uh, like I said, just wrapped. And um, this season we did like Moonlight Bay and uh, hold on one sec. Pull it up. Um, we featured some guest artists from um, Smithsonian Folkways, which is a label here in America. Um, we did Take Me Out to the Ball Game, Blue Skies from uh, the movie Jazz Singer, which is in public domain this year. So let's uh, let's do Moonlight Bay since we've got the uh, the background. Oh, the abyss? Yes, yeah. the abyss. <laughs> uh, I don't get that so well. It's not coming through my... Oh, it's not? Oh. But go to the website. What's Where's the best place yeah. to... 
Yeah, it's on Spotify. Mm-hmm. So on Spotify. You can go to uh, Reconnecting Roots on Spotify, and okay. it, you'll be able to hear the whole soundtrack. So, are you going into recording season four now? Is that what you'll be working on? Yes, yes, actually. We're the, working uh, on it actually today, the, yesterday. The music supervisor is in town here in Alabama with us right now from Nashville, and we're we're working on it this week. Mm-hmm. Because we were going to, because re- we did get the guest finally for you. Yep. Yes. We're excited. Yeah, yes. Robert McKee. I, uh-huh. is, Robert McKee is a sort of, uh, how to describe him? Story? He's like a script whisperer. He a fixes script. people's film scripts. Wow. Yeah. Uh, he's also like, was in a uh, movie called, or his character was in a, in a film called Adaptation, if you're familiar with it. He, really? um, a cult movie, yeah. 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 About him. Well, not the movie is yeah, about him. But- there is a character in the movie that is a reference toward him. But he's an author, and he helps teach people how to write scripts and screenplays and for movies or television shows. And um, he gets really in-depth on um, how to do that. Aesthetic theory, really, at, mm-hmm. the, at the heart of it. And he teaches you about just story story making in particular. My favorite thing, he has, he has workshops that you can pay and go to. They're very informative. But my favorite thing that he does there is he has you watch the film uh, Casablanca with the script in front of us. And he goes through every single scene and we discuss and we see the original script so we can see what it used to be. And he talks about why it changed to something else and why this is important in culture, what this is a metaphor for. And it is just he does it on the last day. And honestly, it's better than any of the other stuff just because it's so cool it makes you really appreciate Casablanca as a piece of art yeah. but um so he's just very intelligent and thoughtful and loves um consuming art and has a lot of opinions about it <laughs> how many interests do you have? do you guys sleep are you I love to I sleep don't, I don't sleep he doesn't like sleep but I love it where do you find the time how do you find are you going to do a movie as well are you he stays busy um, so that I don't have to. Well, there's a period of time when Heidi was employed by a film company and was writing scripts. So Heidi mm-hmm. is a writer. That's what she does. Like she writes songs primarily, but also understands film theory enough to where she's consulted on a couple movies okay. in the past. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but like when we met, she was working for a film company in addition to. I'm just built trying to fill in the picture. I need. I've had a lot of jobs, and so I feel like I have a lot of strange interests just because of that. And Dylan, um, I feel like you're a naturally pretty inquisitive person, and so you have interest because that. And we both like to read, so. Yeah, because wasn't one of the other guests quantum physics? We were going to uh, quantum physics. Yeah, Roger Penrose. Roger Penn. So you're into quantum physics as well, and you spend. Yeah, time. I, I, I'm very into physics and. Um, cosmology specifically i just i'm feeling, I'm feeling very inferior here on the show you can only know a little bit of all of these things when you're so interested in so many yeah. things so. this is true this is true and like and as we're going to be talking to lee today and um you know lee is an expert in uh, aristotle and nietzsche you know and so um there was a like there was a time probably three years ago now when I was just consuming so much Nietzsche and Aristotle and, you know, philosophy, uh, like source material broadly. And, uh, it occurred to me, um, like 
last week, I was like, I need to refresh on eudaimonia. Like, you know, some of these. <laughs> Don't we all? Yeah, yeah seriously. Like, uh, the Aristotle's notion of happiness and, and flourishing and all this stuff that I, I hope, you know, we get to talk to Lee about. But yeah, no, I, I have lots of interest, I, I, but you can't, I can't hold on to any of them. Yeah, you, know, you have to revisit things that you like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, so yeah. that stuff sticks in the end. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think people have to re-listen to this or go, go to the live Twitch get to know you better i think we got it yeah i think we got immersed yeah. in fire kid there so let's draw a line in the sand now and let's take <laughs> a breath in give our listeners a little breather and uh in the in the five minutes before our guests join let's talk about them who are we expecting and what are we going to be talking about because i'd also like to know yeah yeah do you uh i i can read their bios when they come on but um or if you'd like me to read them now i i can um but but basically uh lee uh, is a uh, professor of theology at Lipscomb University. Um, and Brad is a multi-platinum uh, songwriter and producer. He's, uh, he's a good friend of ours. We, we collaborate and, and write songs um, with him very often. They both live in Nashville, live Tennessee, in Nashville. which is regionally very close to us. Yeah. And we both used to live there. That's right. And so, uh, but Lee and Brad are also friends. So uh, Brad introduced us to Lee and was the reason that we were on um, Lee's podcast, which is actually a live variety show. Okay. This is, what's the name of his podcast? Endeavor? No Small Endeavor is his, no small uh, endeavor. Is his okay. podcast. And so you were on an episode yes. of No Small Endeavor? Or you yes, it was formerly called uh, Tokens. Uh, it, was, it was called Tokens when we did it and it's been Granted, I think the mission is a little bit broader. Now, we'll, I, I can let him sort of tell, explain the, the difference when he gets here. But um, yeah, what the, was the, the episode the, about? It was, uh, it was on the intersection between uh, social justice and religion's role in it, uh, so to speak. And the guest was Justin Jones, who has become famous in America recently because this was, and we did the podcast before this happened, but... He's become famous in America recently because he was an elected official in the state of Tennessee and protested as an elected official against gun violence, and he was expelled from from uh, his seat and then subsequently uh, re-elected. Two other before. people were as well. They called them the Tennessee Three. The Tennessee Three. Uh-huh. This just There's happened. Like, but he's awesome. Or something. Yeah, he's awesome. So he's, uh, you know, he was a... He was the guest, and he used religion to justify his um, dissent, so to speak. Mm. And I found it interesting that he used his religion to justify his dissent, and so did the police who were arresting him. Ah, right. And so the song that wrote about it, Candyland, uh, talks about uh, the idea of religion's role in society. Super exciting for me. I don't know anything about this. I haven't heard the song. I'm excited. <laughs> so this is interesting for me. We had uh, awesome. Shane. Cla- we had Shane Claiborne on the show. I wrote a song for him called uh, "Beating Guns" because he goes around. Um, well, he does many things, but he, um, he you bring your guns and uh, they'll melt them down and turn them into garden tools, which uh, something for oh, you. Oh, I would like this very. Much. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's so cool. Beating guns is dot uh, com or yeah, he goes around with a with a big old fire and iron and uh, hammers away. 
That's so cool. Yeah, that's awesome. You get a hoe made out of a gun? Yeah. Weapon of mass production? Yeah, and it also is that making something out of something else that we like. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's like right up our alley. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, the, the, the podcast and the show obviously stuck with us. We are not, we are not religious, but um, pretty much everyone in our life is mm. so um it's like how to relate to someone you love when you you and they sometimes feel like you have nothing in common so it's not about the candy land is not specifically about guns it's about the use of religion as a yes mm-hmm. um yeah and the use of religion to you know um control people uh, to some extent mm. Mm. But our gun regulations and lack thereof in America is largely due to a um, group of people with a very specific religious belief, uh, religious persuasion. It's so strange, that's part it? of it. Yeah. Also, the you know, "Thou shalt not kill" was pretty. I remember that being pretty much at the top of. Yeah, it is like number the number one thing. But um, it's interesting that it's sometimes easy to justify things that stand in direct opposition to what you claim to believe um it, it just happens all the time we all we do it with sure. war um yeah. you know anytime there's a war we throw that out the window it's like well we have to, we have to. we're defending ourselves it's like well it didn't say thou shalt not kill unless you're defending yourself uh, what's up brad what's up dude hey can you hear me yeah yes. we can hear you cool I don't have a cool background like you. That's a pretty, that's a platinum background. That's uh, yeah, yours is platinum is beyond space, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's space, wait, space is beyond platinum. I'm not platinum sure. is formed in a supernova explosion, Brad. So it's kind of similar. In a so way. we're up in our way. Yours is real, ours is CGI. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, there's no such thing as platinum records anymore, though, right? Uh, no, or is it just I, Hello, is this Jack, by the way? Oh, oh sorry. Yes. Hi. You could introduce oh. me, guys. Yes. Hello. This is Brad. Brad, this is Jack. Hi, Brad. Hello, Jack. They like this. Can they see it this way, too? I don't know or is how this they just see us? It, you know. Okay. <laughs> you, I don't know if you guys are in the middle or not, yeah. but there you go. Um. Yeah, we were just, I was just telling them a, a little bit about you, but uh, I didn't know since we have, oh, perfect. Oh, wow. Big as well. So Here it comes. I'll give the, the proper introduction when, when everybody, uh, yeah. Everybody. Brad, thank you for doing this. Um, thank you for inviting me. You guys have been having a good discussion. Yeah, yeah. We, were, we were talking about our Fire Kid music and streaming on Twitch and that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, hi, Lee. Welcome. You've got your um, upright in the background. Oh, yeah. That's right. Oh, yeah. That's right. Jack's got a guitar, too, I think, back there. Yeah, as well. Let's go. Yes, <laughs> Jack, this is Lee. Lee, this is Jack. Hello, Lee. Nice to meet Pleasure you. Pleasure to meet you, Jack. Thank you. And all Lee for having and me. Brad already you know each other. Um, so good to see you. I'll um, I will give the sort of uh, 
bios, tell everybody who everybody is. Jack over. Oh, Jack, did you want to say something uh, first? No, no, I'm fine. This is uh, this is where you take over. Okay, okay, that's what yeah. I thought. Okay, so uh, I've got I've got some some bios here for you guys. So uh, Lee Camp, Doctor of Moral Theology, is Professor of Theology and Ethics at Lipscomb University. He also hosts the variety show No Small Endeavor, exploring mm. the social ethics and human flourishing, featuring an untold number of Grammy and Pulitzer Prize winners. He's also an author. His latest work, Scandalous Witness, A Little Political Manifesto for Christians, is out now. More importantly, he's an all-around kind fellow and music lover who is willing to admit that Nietzsche is occasionally right. <laughs> wow. and, uh, well said, well said. And, uh, we, we're also joined by Brad Chrysler, a multi-platinum songwriter, singer, and producer, a scholar in his own right. Brad is a the guest in the Thomas Jefferson Hour on NPR a weekly radio program dedicated to the search for truth and to the tradition of Thomas Jefferson and an expert on early American art as well. He now operates Truman B. Chrysler Fine Portrait Miniatures. And occasionally play a, key, a piano. That's true. Uh, as you can see, he's got some drum machines and synths behind him. So, um, yeah, so I just, I'm so glad to have you guys on. Uh, so... I did a TED talk, um, or I was getting ready to do a TED talk last year uh, on Woody Guthrie and touched on protest music a little bit. And uh, Brad, a friend of mine, uh, introduced me to Lee. And uh, Lee, you had us on the uh, then called Tokens, now called No Small Endeavor, uh, to um, play uh, on an episode that largely talked about protests. The uh, guest was Justin Jones, and um, a lot of the the topics that came up and that you guys discussed were really uh, inspirational. We had a, we had a great time. We loved the whole thing. And, and after um, after the the podcast, we came home and wrote this uh, song "Candyland" uh, off and on for the next few months. But with Brad, that touched on themes of uh, modern Christianity, um, and its perception in popular culture, its role in political, you know, uh, conservative politics. And, um, yeah. So I just thought we could maybe discuss, uh, Christianity and, uh, its place in American society and, uh, evangelicals and maybe, yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Correct. Yeah. Um, that was great. Okay. That was great. So now that all the formalities are out of the way, uh, I saw a Pew Research poll that said that the number of adults identified uh, as Christians who are self-identified as Christians has decreased, uh, and they said by 12%, which seemed really high over the last decade. And I wondered um, if you had any thoughts on why that could be. You're, ask you're asking me, I suppose. Yes. <laughs> Well, um, I've, I've seen the, um, some of those studies and I think that, um, I, I can't recollect, uh, the precise factors that those studies indicate people give, but, um, my recollection, uh, of some of those, as well as my own experience anecdotally is that, um, there's a large 
amount of dismay with partisan political ideology and the way that large swaths of American Christianity have been co-opted into those sorts of those sorts of uh, agendas. And then the way in which that sort of political co-option uh, then yields itself into things like nationalism, um, yields itself into uh, contemporary expressions of racism in certain contexts, though that's a much more complicated conversation because there are a, a number of scholars that are making a convincing case that um, racism was a Oh, well, we talk more about that later if we want to, but that's not just a contemporary problem, obviously, uh, with much, much older problem. And so there's just a lot of uh, frustration that what it seems like Christianity really is at its best has not been borne out in the lived experience of a lot of people. And they're just kind of disgusted with it and don't find that what uh, Christianity is in America in many cases is really doing what it promises it would do or it's not bearing the kind of fruit that it seems to promise it could be, it could bear and so i think a lot of folks are just walking away from it i think it's also i'll i'll say this and i'd love to hear what he may else wants to say about this but i think there are other aspects as well of larger cultural trends in terms of the fact that what we see in the last 50 years is an increasing individualization and individualism that undercuts almost all commitments to a social community. Um, and so there's lots of sociological studies that point to the fact that what we're seeing is increasing loneliness, increasing ways in which the technology, the consumerism that are so prevalent in Western civilization are eating. They're kind of like an acid that eats away at any sort of communal commitment. And so but we're so distracted even from asking questions like, what's the meaning of life and what kind of life do I want to give myself to? Which provincially, of course, has been at least one of the things that Christianity at its best has tried to do. And so increasingly, all of the resources that we've had to kind of try to do that kind of stuff, live live for something larger than ourselves, live in a sort of, it takes a lot of work to live in community, right? And yes. so when we're so distracted by consumerism and so forth, that as well eats away at a lot of these kind of commitments. Um. Brad, do you um, do you have any personal opinion on the the decline of uh, people identifying as Christians? Yeah, I mean, all of that is you know resonates uh, truth to me, um, and in my ex experience, and people who you know I've been in faith community with who have now you know fallen out of favor with that faith and gone on to find different expressions of. Um, community and, and faith outside of the institutional church. Um, I, I'm curious, I was wondering why you were talking to me is, first of all, I'm sure this d decrease in our culture and participation and people who you know claim and participate in Christian community uh, is not a singular iteration. Like we've had these ebbs and flows throughout the history of Christianity, different parts of the world, perhaps for different reasons. Uh, but it, historically, I'm curious if you know if this kind of decline and this kind of, and, and maybe, and we can get into more of this later, but this kind of shift to 
um, Christianity expressed in kind of a uh, nationalist or all geopolitical, uh, you know, um, the influence of the nation state and political and culture wars. Um, if this is kind of a singular event in American history in our current moment, or are there other times in history where we've had this kind of thing happen before? Yeah, I mean, there's, um, I, for, I forget the numbers, but I remember in the last year talking to a historian who who was reminding me that uh, church attendance in the early American experience was very, very low. I, I, I'm thinking he said something like 20% in the late 1700s. And of course, then you have the second, the Great Awakening, 1800s, you know, and uh, and um, so there's been these moments of revival where church attendance in, has gone up. And then I guess it was at its greatest in the 1950s, 1960s, uh, and then we've seen a, a slow decline since then. And of course, the um, for a long time, one of the things that kind of you would hear among a lot of um, evangelical types was a sort of um, somewhat, I always read it as a somewhat snide looking down their noses at mainland Protestants because the slide in church adherence was sharpest among mainline Protestants until about the last decade or so, if I remember the numbers correctly. And then there's been this sharp decline among uh, evangelicals uh, more recently. Uh, and so it's, it's kind of like everybody's kind of getting walloped by this. And mm -hmm. so I think, I think the, the kind of historical trends have been important to note that it's gone up and down a lot through the last couple of centuries in the American experience. Second thing I don't want to note about that question is that nationalism and or imperialism and or colonialism and the ways in which Christianity has had this uneasy alliance with that is mm -hmm. a very, very old, um, ill-fated, in my opinion, ill-fated quest, you know. And so this goes back at least to the fourth century AD where, and the, you know, the historians will talk about the so-called Constantinian shift. So Christianity in its first three centuries is a minority sometimes persecuted religious sect and um you know you're you're getting christians still persecuted by empress decius and empress diocletian at the very end of the third century and then at the beginning of the fourth century constantine makes christianity finally a legal religion and so uh and then by the end of the uh, fourth century Emperor Theodosius makes Christianity the only legal religion in the Roman Empire. And so it's this incredible shift uh, from persecuted within a century later, you're the only legal religion. And then in time, that sets up the church to persecute those who are not Christian. So it's this huge social shift, sociological mm -hmm. shift. And then you have other sorts of ugly things that come out of that new alliance with imperialist power. And so it's a very, very old um, temptation, if you will. And now Kristen DeMay in her recent New York Times bestseller, Jesus and John Wayne, you know, she, she points, she, she lays all this stuff out in the American experience in a very compelling, distressing, uh, historical narrative. But one thing that she reminds us is that in the early part of the 20th century, it was actually the Protestant liberals who were much more nationalistic than evangelicals. Evangelicals in many ways, early part of the 20th century were very apolitical. They didn't want to have anything to do with politics. They didn't want anything to do with social, social system structures. And so it was the, the, the liberals, Protestant liberals and mainline Protestants that were, they were very dogged nationalists, right? You, you, some of the most 
distressing nationalism you can get uh, is from early 20th century uh, Christian, you know, president of the United States among them. Um, but then in time, middle part of the 20th century, then the evangelicals, they want to get in on the game. And that then comes full flower in the last 50, 60, 70 years. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, you know, I was going to say with regards to, uh, you know, Christians and being tied in with politics and um, everything that comes with that. Uh, do you see Jesus as a fundamentally political figure of the time? I do. Um, I, and, and this is one of the things that I've, I've written about at some length. Um, I actually, what, what a lot of people want to say is that Christianity is not political. And a lot of times they'll say that because they're so disgusted with, in these days, evangelical like, alliance with politics, right? More nowadays, like the, the, the guy who ran for Senate in Alabama, Roy Moore, you know, yeah. the guy the Ten Commandments, when we think of political Christians, so. Right, right. Yeah, so, so we're so terrified and rightfully so of the Roy Moores of the world. <laughs> That, that, that the, the way we try to distance ourselves from that is by saying, well, Christianity is not, not political. And what I've been saying for the last number of years is that anybody who says Christianity is not political has no idea what Christianity is. Mm -hmm. um, and so what I mean by that, though, is very different than what partisan adherents of U.S. politics mean when they want to make Christianity political, right? So, uh, you know, Jesus uses language of the kingdom of God, which is itself an explicitly political assertion. And then he talks about things like uh, enemies, how you, how you deal with enemies, forgiveness, debt and money, marriage, um, violence, reconciliation. And like, what kind of questions are those? Well, they're political questions, right? And so, but what Jesus does is he gives us a completely different construal of what politics is. That's completely different than either the right or the left in the American political experience. And so, and I don't mean by that, that Christians should never say, I believe what this person over here on the left is saying is correct, or I believe what this person on the right is saying is correct. But it's just that those are different ways of construing politics than Christian orthodoxy is describing politics. And so I do think it's political. And then the question becomes, well, how do we play that out? Or what does it mean to concretely or practically live according to this alternative politic? So uh, kingdom of God, is that like um, sometimes I hear, you know, Christian nationalists talk about building a Christian nation. I, I feel like I read a paper from you and you had strong opinions about what what the idea of a Christian nation um do you agree with the idea of a Christian nation or disagree? I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Is that as well? Yeah, I, I would like to go on record as saying I disagree with the notion of a Christian nation probably as strongly as one could. Um, um, and, and so, you know, in my most recent book, Scandalous Witness, I, I have a chapter on this. And can um, I say that it's it's wrong it's wrong to assert that the United States is or was or could, again, be a Christian nation for three reasons. And the three reasons are historically, it's wrong, theologically, it's wrong, and strategically or practically, it's wrong. And so, so historically, it's wrong just from, um, you know, there's all sorts of historical evidence that, the, that the, a, a number of the, or a lot of the founding fathers of the country were very explicitly aware of the fact that we are not creating a Christian country. Um, yeah. 
And now that's different as we might get into later to say that it doesn't mean that certain basic Christian commitments or philosophies were not informing the establishment of Western democracies, which I actually think they are. And, you know, this new book by Tom Holland, Dominion, which is fascinating, that point is British historian, you know, it's fascinating the way he talks about some of the great gifts of Christianity to Western civilization. And so I'm not denying, uh, and, and, I, and I want to celebrate the way in which the good parts of Western civilization and Western political liberal democracies are indebted to Christianity. I think that that's true, but that's different than trying to establish a Christian nation, a geopolitical order that is a geographically bounded nation state. So that gets to the second thing. Theologically, it's problematic because a nation state is an entity that is bounded geographically, and then it uses military might to protect its borders. And it yep. has procedures to say who is a citizen, who is not a citizen. And those very commitments themselves are opposed to Christianity. A, a Christianity is a transnational communion of people in whom anybody that wants to can be a citizen, a member of this body, of this body politic. Um, and so this, obviously that's a very different thing than a nation state. So when you try to marry Christianity and a nation state, you're just trying to breed two things that don't breed together. Um, they're mm -hmm. just two very different things. And then third, it's, it's a problematic thing to try to make Christianity a, a nation state uh, strategically, because I think all you do is you just, you just create a lot of ill will. There's a lot of people in the United States of our neighbors that don't want to be Christians. And mm -hmm. Christianity is committed to soul freedom, right? To conscience that allows people to make a choice as to whether or not they want to be Christians. And so when we try to do a lot of the, the stunts that a lot of Christians try to do, in the name of a Christian nation, you, you're, again, theologically, you're undercutting their freedom to be what they want to be and be what they want to do, what they want to do. And you're also just strategically, it's just bad rhetoric and it's bad uh, strategy and it's a bad way to try to win people to what you're trying to, to, to establish. Yeah, yeah. So, so you're, you, as Christianity, as opposed to Hinduism or Judaism, is creedal, right? Uh, as opposed to something you're born into, and so that that's what you're. So, so like a Hindu state could potentially work, but where Christianity could not is what you're saying. I certainly think Christianity could not. Yes. Yeah. Um, Heidi, you had a question for Mr. Janney. But two questions. One is. A little easier, and then the other one's super hard hitting, and that'll be my last one because that that's for my personal research. But my first question is: Is God dead, and have we killed him? Um, why don't you tell me what you? Uh, yes, different people no, mean different things okay. by that question. So no. I'd like to hear more about what you mean by that question. Okay, so no. growing up in the South here. Um, you can't not see the little movie things outside of people's houses. That's like God is not dead. It's like it's like they literally read one Nietzsche half of a sentence, and they were like, "No, yeah. no!" Yeah. <laughs> they just made like five movies of, of based off of that. Yeah, and, my, my understanding of what you're talking about, thus spoke Zarathustra. Yeah, my understanding of what 
he meant when he said that was uh he's coming down from the he's coming down from the mountain uh and he runs into a pious man who's talking about what a beautiful day god has made and uh zarathustra says does he not know that god is dead uh and when he says that he's he says that he seems to be saying to me that like science has done away with the, the need for god but he doesn't feel super happy he's not happy about it he's actually yeah. It's like go away from me uh before i take something away from you to the to the pious man so mm-hmm. yeah. do you there's still a need for christianity i guess is, is that what you're saying yeah, yeah. Um, do you think so i guess what i am trying to ask is do you think that it's like the worldly things that have killed god or or christianity and how it was at its height oh yeah. or do you so. think it's it could possibly be the calls coming from inside the house kind of situation yeah yeah, yeah i see yeah um yes uh-huh. i think it would be <laughs> my answer and I, I mean the um I mean the on the the first question you asked here. I mean, you know, it's common to hear folks speak of the disenchantment of the world following the Enlightenment, right? And so, the, so the notion that the ways in which um, we we see, well, isn't this a beautiful day that God has made? Um, that sort of medieval and earlier views in um, Christian theist, much theist practice is a sort of everything's enchanted with the glory of God, right? And with the beauty of God and the presence of God. And there's a way in which the scientific um, method and and we could even go on and say uh, a sort of ideological pursuit of science has kind of disenchanted the world. And so there are things that we know now. Um, and, you know, I, I myself don't... Uh, hesitate don't have a problem with uh, for example you know the last in the united states is not not so much an issue jack in, in the in the uk but you know in in the united states uh, lots of christians can't imagine that you could possibly accept the find charles darwin with regard to the theory of evolution and still be a christian but you know in my mind uh actually you can and there are a lot of people who do but there's still a sort of disenchantment i guess about the way you might think about certain things if you accept the theory of evolution or whatever the case may be. And so we, what, whatever we mean by God or who God is or the presence of God, it, it, it requires us to kind of continue to renegotiate that or renavigate that, or to continue to think about how we say that in any sort of sensical way. And on your second question, has the, uh, the, the death of God, if you will, put that quotation marks, been the, um a consequence of the failure of the church itself i i i am you know unfortunately i would have to say in many cases yes i think that that's true and that we have been our own worst enemies with regard to bearing witness to who we believe god is and but so often what happens is that a lot of people want to point their fingers at somebody else without letting judgment as scripture says 
you know, if judgment begins with the household of God, which is a terrifying sort of claim of scripture that, um, it points to, it points to saying, you gotta, you gotta judge yourself. If you're going to judge anybody, judge yourself first. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think we would do ourselves a big favor if we would take that seriously, rather than looking at the secularists out there, you know, in many cases, the secularists are just aren't, not, 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 not really, they're really not interested in, they find it kind of boring. They're not really well, hopefully interested in they're focused, Hopefully they're judging themselves too first. You know, yeah. everybody's kind of doing their own internal work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to, well, did you want to ask your second question now or do you want to see? No, I'll ask it later. Okay. <laughs> um, so It'll keep us in suspense. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, I wanted to talk something that, I, you know, just broadly to talk about with, with Yuli and, and with you, Brad. When we did the No Small Endeavor um, uh, show as musical special guest, the thing I was most interested in was was Justin Jones's interview, and he said something. Uh, so, so, what would you like to give any background on on Justin Jones, uh, Lee? You probably could do it better than me. He 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 was in. Yeah. A yeah, why don't you? I'll let you. Yeah, so so for those who, who may not be aware, of Justin is so he um, Justin is a member of the famous now, infamous now, depending on where you're coming from, Tennessee Three, uh, who were uh, ejected from the uh, or expelled from the Tennessee state legislature recently, and then they were um, the, the two of them were they were three were kind of set up for charges to be expelled. Uh, the two African Americans were expelled. The the white woman from Memphis was not. Uh, but then, yeah. So both both of the Justins then were reinstated by their local authorities and sent back to the state house. There there will still be a new election to see if they can still hold their seats. But uh, that's what's happened. And and they were uh, expelled uh, purportedly based upon behaviors that they. Uh, took up following uh, speaking out against gun violence, following the horrific shooting here in Nashville at the Covenant School mm -hmm. and pushing the Tennessee state legislature to take seriously legislation against gun violence. Previously, Justin, Justin Jones had been very involved in a lot of social activism, standing in opposition to the Tennessee state legislature. He had been actually banned from the grounds of the Tennessee state legislature for, I think it was 12 months. And then subsequently was elected to then be a member of the Tennessee state legislature. So he's come in under this sort of activist uh, history of yes. being arrested a bunch of times. And then he gets elected and he comes in and he's been there a very short period of time and gets expelled. And now he's still still working in the Tennessee state house. Yeah, when that happened, I remember seeing that just those two uh, got expelled. And of course... The the white lady did not. Yeah, two, two black men named Justin got expelled. And yeah, the white lady didn't. But I remember thinking, man, he last time he did this, he came back as state representative. He's gonna come back as governor if they don't. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So one of my favorite things that he said is that he went from the jailhouse to the state house. Yeah, that was cool. Or, yeah, that's, yeah, that's gonna be his like people's house. Yeah. His, um, <laughs> Bio yeah, it's so good. The state house. My favorite thing he said, can I say this? Yes, yes. My favorite thing he said in that interview was, he, and I'll never forget it. He said, don't trust a movement that doesn't have music. 
Mm, yes. Mm. It was so good yes, because yes. music is in movements as well. Like the play on words is mm, so good. But mm. then also like if the social movement doesn't have music, there's no soul in it. Yes, it's so right. That's exactly right. Um, yeah. And so we knew of Justin through friends who occupied the state house to get the Nathan Bedford Forrest statue taken out. So we already knew his work. And, and we, uh, we agreed to it because we we're friends with Brad, but also we had heard that yeah. Justin Jones was on yeah, it. And so I was, was like, like, oh, I love that guy. We got to go. Like, love both of these people. So it was just so awesome. But um, it was fascinating to me. And this, this is probably the, the kernel of what the, you know, what, what we're getting at here. Um, he described, he, he personally described his descent, uh, I have the quote here, as a calling of his faith. He said uh, he believed in something higher than the laws of the building he works in. I thought that was so interesting. And it was contrasted by his own words to the, he talked about the men who arrested him, uh, citing scripture about respecting authority as they're arresting him. So like both sides of this conflict were citing their faith in a way to sort of uh, explain their actions. But Justin was doing it in a way that was lifting up others and, you know, pushing society forward. And the other one was, it's like uh, authoritarian, you know? And uh, so I don't know, I guess, um, what do you guys think the, should be the goal of Christianity in society moving forward? Um, like I said, we are not Christians, but everyone we love is, you know, for the most And we were raised, and we were raised in and, Alabama and Tennessee. And, so, um, I, I don't like, so I, I see the positive aspects of it and I see the good that it can do. Um, and like I said, so many people I love believe in this. So, um, what, what is the positive, uh, future that you could both see, uh, the end goal of Christianity in society? I think you wrote a a paper on a great paper on it, Lee, a while ago, but anyway, um, either of you, Brad, you want to go first? (laughs) I I have no paper. I've written no paper. Questions. But you always uh, have relatively thoughtful opinions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that the context is usually not in the presence of a biblical scholar. Uh, I'll let you start and then I'll I'll affirm. Well, okay. um I, you know, that, that at least relates to the question of what 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 is the goal of Christianity. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. And and then one can extrapolate from what the goal of Christianity is to what the goal of Christianity could be with regard to making a contribution to the societal context in which it finds any given group of Christians find themselves. Um, and my understanding of Christianity and Christian orthodoxy is that it's it's quite different than what a lot of Christians understand it to be. And a lot of a lot of Christians understand Christianity to be this sort of religion that if you do X, Y, and Z, or you believe A, B, and C, that when you die, you can go to heaven. And this is like non-controversial among a majority of Christians, I think, probably in the West. 
And I would just suggest that that actually is not Christianity and, and more, and, and I'm not making this as an argument as a progressive, I'm making this argument based upon very old Christian orthodoxy and Christian orthodoxy claims that the goal of Christianity is the redemption of the created world. And that, uh, that, that, you know, whatever this means or looks like, it's this promise that God, the creator has made that, um, through Christ, the redemption of heavens and earth has begun in which death has been overcome by life and by love and that death has been defeated, but not yet consummately. And that someday in, in some point in his, the unfolding of history, there will be a consummate defeat of death in which life will triumph consummately over death and all of the handmaidens of death, the sick, sickness, the warring, the hostility, the hatred will all be overcome and the glorious will of God, whom we believe to be good and true and beautiful, uh, will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. Now that's a lot of apocalyptic, metaphorical, allegorical, poetical language I just used. Yes. And so I'm not interested in making that a fundamentalist sort of literalist claim, but I'm saying that I think that it's true. Um, and that that's the goal of Christianity. And so for, I mean, even, even you think about the book of Revelation, so, so-called street of gold, you know, most, most people assume that the street of gold is up there somewhere in heaven, but that's actually not what the book of Revelation says at all. The book of Revelation is about, and again, it's apocalyptic literature, not to be read literally, yeah. but it, but it's, it's pointing to that the end of the story is about the world becoming a place in which God can be at home in our midst, wipe away every tear from every eye in which there'll be new heavens and new earth and all things will be set right. And, um, that's the goal of Christianity. And so for life, for us now, um, the task is as we're between the times of the inauguration and the consummation of that beautiful vision, our job is to do the best we can with the resources that we've been given and the gifts we've been given to sow the seeds of that kind of world through, whether it's through our music, whether it's through our writing, whether it's through the work we do in healing the sick, whether it's through education, uh, whatever it may be, that's what we're called to do to sow the seeds of this beautiful world that we believe is on its way and, uh, not to treat the world as if it's something that's going to be burned up and thrown in a trash can. Right. But to see it as the beautiful work of God that we have been called as stewards to care for and love and to serve our neighbors. And so that kind of points pretty rapidly to a, a sort of contribution to our societal context. I think it requires some care, um, and it requires a non-ideological, non-partisan commitment to that kind of stuff, but it at least points us to an agenda, I think. Yeah. So, um, just to keep the thread here. Um, like you, so, so I, I grew up in this and I always found the, the teachings of the end times to be really nihilistic in that, like the world is a lost cause meant to fall at, you know, uh, a, a battle of good and evil will destroy the world, you know, in the end. And so, um, so it seems like the issue is, what is it, a, a difference in connotation and denotation or something? Just like taking these metaphors literally kind of ruins the whole thing. Is that what you're saying? Uh, I would have to dig into that a little bit more. Um, 
I think I hear what you're saying, and I think I would want to say yes, but yeah, yeah it would need, we would need to spell that out a little bit more. Fair enough. Um, yeah, to me, like once I started caring more about um, world mythology and whatnot, I realized that oftentimes, and and art as well, that truth is oftentimes better um, expressed through metaphor and symbolism than just spitting out this is how it is didactic polemical. streets of gold to take that literally yeah rather than metaphor yeah metaphorically saying. and i think that um you could see christianity as a song you know uh lyrics or something where the meaning is deeper than the the words on the page. That that's just how I how I saw yeah. it. Maybe, maybe yeah, I'm no, wrong. yeah, yeah. I would I would agree uh, that that's a crucial element of Christian proclamation. I mean, when you look at uh, let's say, for example, you know Isaiah sixty five from the Hebrew prophet Isaiah or second Isaiah, third Isaiah, depending on what biblical scholar you're talking to. Um, but it's this incredible picture of this coming day uh, in which it says, for example, uh, no mother shall bear a child for calamity. And every old man shall sit under his own vine and his own fig tree, and he shall not spend a life building a house that another inhabits. And he says, and God will wipe away every tear from every eye, and there will be new heavens and new earth. You know, and, 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 the the language is, is we know it's poetry because of the way it's written um and it's a poetry that says something that's truer than true right the way we talk about fiction a lot of times fiction fiction yeah. says things oftentimes that are truer than true and th that's what is happening there at the same time there, there's this debate about um especially in the last 100 150 years in christianity about um let's say for example something like the resurrection of christ and whether or not that should be understood merely as a metaphor or as an expression of universal human experience. So, for example, uh, one, of, one of the great Protestant liberals of the 20th century would say that the doctrine of resurrection is merely a, um, is a way of expressing that the experience of life after death or some sort of renewal after defeat is a no. universal human experience that we can enjoy. And then there are, there are others, and, and I would be among them, who says, well, there's something about the proclamation of the, of the resurrection of Christ that even though it's, 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 it cannot be comprehended by us, we nonetheless do believe in Christian orthodoxy that this is something that did happen in history. That even though we might not even necessarily know what that means, uh, we, we do proclaim that there was some sort of resurrection of, of Christ. And so, so again, that it, it, it's depending upon what we're saying about poetic expression or metaphor or symbolism or so forth. And so many cases, obviously that's what's going on is symbolism. And at the same time, there's a claim about uh, historical moments, historical persons, you know, that there was a King David, that there was uh, the Hebrew prophets, that there was Jesus of Nazareth in the first century, that there was the apostle Paul, that there was a crucifixion, a death, a burial, and a resurrection. These are still historical moments. They can still then be used symbolically to point to other things in addition. Uh, but so, so again, it gets quickly into a complicated sort of set of considerations about symbol and history and so forth. But 
I find all of those pretty exciting and enriching as a way of thinking about how we construe what we believe to be true. Yeah, I really see. I, I, I'm so passionate about all of that because I, I just see uh, art that way, you know, being able to express something truer than true through yeah. something like whether it's, you know, Jesus ascending bodily to heaven, like whether it's taken literally, like what does that mean? You know, when yeah. you, when, I, I, that's, that's where the gold is at. Um, for and, he, me. And, and, you know, and even, I, even the apostle Paul in, in talking about the resurrection of Christ, he's, he, he wants to insist there's a body, but even the way he talks about the body is still not quite the same as the body, obviously that we have, because he described it as a spiritual body. So, you know, it, it, it just gets complicated pretty it, it, quickly. It, yeah. It's in the, and, it's the inward space or whatever. And not only that, but it's very old and in a completely different language that has been translated so many different times, the Bible as a whole. So even if we're talking about how we, you know, am I taking it metaphorically or literally, am I even reading the right translational word? You know, you could say that one word means helper, and then um, other people would say it means um, partner. And somehow that's like, no. that makes a big difference. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, or if you're reading... Uh, you know, the parables of Jesus as hearing them as though you were a first century Jew, because rabbinical teaching, you know, in the first century, the hearers would be hearing those parables very differently in ways that we, you know, uh, perhaps hear them now without, you know, embracing or, or thinking about that context. I did want to say, uh, I, I agree with everything we said about, you know, Christianity's purpose and our moment you know our culture in whatever moment we find ourselves um given that i do believe those things as well and given those beliefs i always um think about um the sermon on the mount like reading jesus's words on the sermon on the mount those teachings um are so incredibly radical and counterintuitive uh and i I always think about the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus saying, this is who you were created to be by the creator. And this is who you will be again in the redemption of all things in the eschaton. And given those glimpses, uh, this is thus how you should strive to be an echo in the world. In other words, Christians... The, the purpose of Christianity is to be uh, an echo or an ambassador or some kind of glimpses using uh, kindness, you know, art, music, uh, sacrifice, uh, spiritual practices, all, all of those things that Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, if, if those who ascend, to the Christian narrative, uh, try their best, you know, within what uh, resources they have uh, to be a reflection of his teachings. Not only does it, it not only is, it is a inherently political exercise and what the way I think about that versus the way like Christian nationalism thinks about is that it, it reframes power. It reframes the idea of power, whereas Christian nationalism says, 
you know, seeks to grasp uh, a traditional view of power and use that power for the kingdom of God, the framing that Jesus gives in the Sermon on the Mount is a completely different way of saying and thinking about where power resides and what is your power. And that's the that's why, you know, beauty, not sacrifice, you know, or or uh, you know, loving your enemy or walking a mile in their shoes, you know, and praying for those who like all of those things reframe power in a way that uh the nation state or institutional power thinks of thinks of our institutional states think about that power and um that's to me and again this is why i keep trying to write these songs this is why i you know the the song we wrote uh about these kind of things is you know the end of the line of a long list of songs and i've been trying to express about this because i find it so counter anti-christian uh, i mean i saw i find that the idea that christians would think about power uh in this way is so uh the opposite of how jesus teaches you know about where power resides yeah. so Anyway, sorry, it was a long. That's very well. That's very well said. Thanks. Kind of what that's kind of what Nietzsche was getting at in Antichrist, as in you know the teachings have have been changed. Uh, of course, this is a different period in history. This is the 19th century when he's writing this, but um, many of the modern teachings are in direct contrast to the teachings uh, that you're talking about. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so I was going to say. Um, I thought we could talk for the last little bit about, you know, maybe some of the the issues I see with modern Christianity and then um, give you a chance to talk about maybe how uh, Aristotle and his idea of eudaimonia or happiness can help us get out of them, if that, if that sounds... Then we can talk about sure never a little bit. Um, so Heidi and I uh, are, are doing this... Uh, show that we we do for for uh, pbs called reconnecting roots where we rewrite these old songs give them a new uh flair we're we're doing an episode on houses and uh we're doing this song uh working on a building do you know working on a building sure yeah yeah it, it the so the lyrics uh go i'm working on a building it's a true foundation I'm holding up the bloodstained banner for my Lord. I never get tired of working on the building because when I'm done, I'm going to heaven to get my reward. And it's like this teaching I I heard all the time growing up of the, the mansion in heaven. And so when I think about one of the issues with modern Christianity, it's one and on one hand, it's it's life denial. You know, so it's it's a it's a kind of like I will endure this suffering on earth because one day in my afterlife. I'll have a comfortable mansion or something. This is also a great song, Mansion in Heaven. Uh, like a, yeah. you know, my favorite version was Skaggs and, and Rice version of it. But, um, and then the other thing I was going to say is uh, in, in popular culture, you know, I, we consume so many documentaries about, uh, you know, religion and, and cults. And so one, we watched um, the one on Glenn, uh, Gwen Shamblin who had the church in, uh, was it Brentwood? It was yeah, your neighbor, Brad. 
<laughs> yeah. And so her her gospel that she was pre her gospel that she was preaching was basically, you know, you have to be healthy. Stay skinny for God. And so a bunch of people were starving themselves to be a part of the congregation. And then we have the Duggars uh, who were on 19 Kids and Counting on TLC. It's like all these like, it, it, it did Roy Moore and we had the spotlight story about the Catholic Church scandal. And mm -hmm. it's like in all of these situations, it's like the loudest voices that we hear from the Christians are often like scandals and whatnot. And I just find my issue uh, is not just life denial. It's like, it seems like there's some sort of suppression of individuality that happens with Christianity where these people, and, and a lot of times it's just part of being a, a victim of abuse that you don't naturally speak out. But I think it might be compounded with something with modern evangelical church where it in the Catholic church too, where it just victims are forced to conform. They lose their individuality. And so I, um, I've laid out the Nietzschean argument and I would like to hear uh, maybe how Aristotle can, can help us uh, find happiness or our pursuit of pleasure or however you would like to respond. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, there's a lot there that we could unpack. Um, and I, I think that I would kind of lay out there a few things kind of quickly and then kind of come back. We can do, talk about whichever ones at length that we might want um as far as kind of like the life denial and the the verse from the working on a building you're pointing to i, I started laughing thinking to myself we've done working on a building two or three times on our show on live shows but we've never sung that verse that you pointed to with them in report why you don't like the blood-stained banner yeah. <laughs> yeah. well and i especially don't like the the escapism right that, that yes yeah and so, um, you know, and we've, we've done, I'll fly away a few times on the show, but I, I always follow it up because it's a great bluegrass piece, right? So yeah. good. Yeah. But, but, but I always snarkily comment that I always tell my students that, uh, I'll fly away is a Neoplatonic perversion of the gospel. And, 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 and I think that's crucial to see is that the, the life denial stuff, the escapism, the sharp dualism between spirit and body, between spirituality and materiality, that's all Neoplatonism. And the early church saw that as a heresy. But unfortunately, a lot of Christians these days the believe a heretical, form of a heretical form of Christianity that's much more indebted to Plato than it is, or Neoplatonists, than it is to either the Jews or the early Christians. Yes. And so we've got to keep hammering that over and over and over yes. again. Um, and then as far as the... Uh, you know, what's at work in these sorts of horrific examples of oppression or abuse? Um, you know, I think, I think there's lots of things at work. Um, there's the thing Brad was pointing to a moment ago about a horrifically construed notion of power that gets played out. There's uh, dynamics of shame that control people um, that are um, devastating to people. And, um, and of course, uh, Christians have done this and secularists do it as well. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's, a, it, the, those are sort of universal or at least very common experiences of oppression that you can find among 
almost any, I would, I would say any and every tradition, right? Um, and that's not to excuse the Christians because everybody does it. It's to say Christians have fallen prey to these horrific practices as well. Um, and then, of course, there's the, the reality of uh, your question about, you know, is there a sort of suppression of individualism? Uh, is, is there something about Christianity that somehow inherently um, uh, holds down, compresses, I can't find the word I'm quite looking for, uh, individualism? And, uh, and, and I would say that a um, couple of things there. One is that going back to the comment we made earlier, uh, referring to Tom Holland's book, Dominion, uh, and, and other historians who have said that the rise of classical political liberalism that gives rise to Western democracies is in many ways indebted to the Christian tradition. And so there's, there's something in the Christian tradition that gave rise to this honoring of individuals. And part of the reason for that, at least part of the reason, a significant part of the reason, is that Christianity has insisted that there are to be no class distinctions and there are to be no one over the other based upon some marker of sex, some marker of economic viability, uh, some marker of ethnicity, but we are all one. And so there's this radical acceptance of all people uh, in the Christian tradition at its best. And that then in time is one of the currents that feeds Western political liberalism that celebrates individuals, right? Yeah. At the same time, you also have uh, that any community always, any and every community, it doesn't matter how conservative or how liberal in the American sense, every community has to have some form of dogma that gives that community coherence. And everybody has it, you know, and they can deny they do, but they do, right? Um, and so then the question becomes, well, how can you uphold certain basic commitments of the dogmas that allow your community to have coherence in such a way that are not oppressive, that can still honor individual individuality? And I think that can be done, but it's a tricky thing and it's a challenging thing and it's often very messy, but I do think that it can be done. So I think all of those kind of things would have to be unpacked to really give a even began to give a sort of legit answer to your really great question, but those would be some of the things I'd want to start pointing to. Yes. Okay. Um, I would I, love to hear what Brad thinks about some of that stuff about Western political liberalism because he, he loves Thomas Jefferson so much. Oh, yeah. No. Well, 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 the, the, as, as we all know, the three things Jefferson had on this, you know, had, put on his tombstone was author of the Declaration of Independence, the founder of the University of Virginia, and the author of the Virginia Statute for Religious Liberties. It was the thing that was most important, but he really considered his greatest contribution to the American expression um, was the idea that the mind is completely incoercible, that, mm. um, and that... It was the most sacred expression of American liberty is that, um, you know, it, it neither picks my pocket or breaks my leg. As he says, if one man believes that 20 gods are none, uh, and that that is at the, at the heart you know, of the American expression of liberty is the idea that, that the mind is not coercible and yeah. should never, never be subject to such.
And I'll throw in another quick uh, historical allusion there that you, you have at least uh, early 15th century and slightly earlier, you have people who began to argue for some sort of separation of church and state from a kind of a political philosophy perspective because they're, they're really ticked with the political power of the medieval church. But then there are also in the 16th century, the so-called radical uh, Protestant Reformation, uh, who also sharply argue for the separation of church and state, but they're arguing for it not from political philosophy, but they're arguing it from, from reading the Gospels. And, but it's a similar to what Brad was just saying about Thomas Jefferson, is that if you were coercing people, you are, by definition, corrupting Christianity. That's and so they have such a commitment to the nonviolence of Christ that there's any sort of way in which you're allying state power and Christianity is from the start corrupting Christianity. And so they, that's their perspective on why to do this kind of separation of church and state. That's, uh, that's fantastic. I, I love um, leaving it there. Lead, uh, I'd love to hear, we got one minute left, if, you've got, if you could tell them a little bit about No Small Endeavor um, and you know, where to find it. Uh, yes. Yeah, so No Small Endeavors are a uh, podcast and uh, public radio show coming out of Nashville. Uh, you can find it wherever you listen to your podcasts, No Small Endeavor. And our tagline is exploring what it means to live a good life. And so my field is in uh, Christian ethics, moral theology, but I bring that in conversation with not only theologians, but philosophers, social scientists, psychiatrists, psychologists, poets, um, occasional politicians, uh, writers, uh, all who are asking what does it mean to live a good life? What is it like? What are the practices, the habits, the dispositions that facilitate living a good life? And it's been a treat. We get to talk to a lot of wonderful human beings. And so we would love for uh, folks to come join us at No Small Endeavor. That's awesome. Man, I'm so glad we got to talk to you. We got to catch up again. We talked about grabbing a beer, but it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I have one last question, though. Oh, he has one last question. For my, for my personal um, records, um, I was just wondering, have you ever seen a ghost? <laughs> you are so obsessed with ghosts, hi. <laughs> I I cannot say that I have seen a ghost. Okay, that's all. I can say I've is. had a few. I've had a few mystical experiences, but I would not say that I have seen a ghost. Okay, thank you. Thank was you. Was that your bombshell question, then, Heidi? Was that the... what? That, that was your bombshell question. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, I was expecting more. All the time because I need to know. Yeah. Mm. We'll expect, we'll ex uh, Dylan, we'll expect Jack to buy us a beer when we see him in London. Yeah. When we all know the UK. Italy. Yeah. Jack, I'm coming to, I'm coming to Italy in about, uh, uh, in about six or seven months. So maybe I'll get a beer over there. Okay. Awesome. If you come to the South. Right. Yeah. 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 Thank you guys so much for joining us. It means so much that you guys took the time yeah. out of your day to Jack include us in your wonderful podcast. And Lee and Brad, I know you guys are busy, important guys, and we're very thankful for you and your time and your brains. Thank you all. That's very true. much enjoyed the conversation. Really appreciate the, the invitation. Thank you all. Yeah, enjoyed being with. Thank you. I'll stay on with... Uh with the guys for a minute just to debrief decompress very good yeah. build uh, the song i did record i recorded this uh audio locally if you want me to send you a wave file of that i don't know if you need it or want it that's but no that's it. no problem no it's mm -hmm. i just use the cloud recording okay mm -hmm. very good thanks anyway yes sir good to see you all thanks very much thank you, thank you guys bye 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 bye, -bye.
Well done, guys. That was fun. Thank you. Yeah. No, it's 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 always interesting to. Um, I mean, this is the kind of conversation I I, I want to have with, you know, my family. You know, uh, but it's hard. It's hard to talk about these sorts of things uh, when we when we sit on the other side of the fence. So, yeah, it's actually a synchronicity that you asked to come on the show because I'm a member of a a Christian group. Oh, you are. I am. Yes. That's awesome. I would know it. It is. Well, you wouldn't know. It's quite unusual, but maybe the stars are aligning. And what was your what was your takeaway? I know this. It was largely focused on America. America the evangelical church, but anything. Well, you know, the, the Christianity's moved. There is no Christian country has moved away a lot. I agree entirely. It's moved away from the teachings of Jesus, you know, tipping over the money lenders temp- temple, tipping over the money lenders tables. And, uh, you know, he was a, he was a, an incredible man. And I, you know, as you talking about concepts, which are out of copyright and which have been updated, uh, so the Jesus, we have this uh, twelve blessings. Book. Oh, interesting! The cosmic concept. Yeah. Sounds cool. So it's uh, twelve blessings dot org. Twelve being numerical, and um, the society is called the Aetherius Society, and it was started by uh, Dr. George King in the nineteen fifties. And um, yeah, it's kind of a, taking the old concepts, but with a cosmic concept because. Jesus yeah. man who never went away, yeah. but he was, uh, so he has a cosmic concept to it. And actually the, there's another book channeled by Dr. King uh, called The Nine Freedoms and the, the sixth freedom is Ascension, which Jesus went through. Yeah. It's interesting. It's like, um, I started getting into world religion and stuff through uh, Joseph Campbell, um, who was a professor of pathology at Sarah Lawrence College. And he talks about the importance of not throwing out the thing um, entirely, but just updating the metaphors. And that's kind of what I was getting at with, um, with Lee, although he does seem to still. He rides with some of them. Yeah, he rides with some. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to put it. Um, but for me, it's like you, I think all the elements are there of something that works in, in, in modern society, but not, not the way it's been presented to us yeah that book dominion really uh, explains the benefits of what jesus did first time around and uh you know we wouldn't have this society this democratic society without those teachings and yeah right that's kind of what the, that's kind of what the guys were saying yeah that's interesting yeah so but now you know there's this kind of cosmic concept now because you get the teachings for the times you know yeah you guys maybe don't connect with the teachings because they are a bit they're a bit out of date. They're a bit not modern. And so yeah, we we're probably, I mean, in, in the way we live our life is, is certainly not that, uh, different from, I think what, what we were raised on. Yeah. What we were raised you on know, family. Yeah. Be a good person, treat people how you would like to be treated but or also, better. Like even when, when we take those teachings as they were presented to us, at face value uh, with our own adult understanding of them, it just makes us more socialist, more communist, you know, taking care of people, making sure people have uh, healthcare. And um, we grow, we grow, uh, you know, uh, 
plants in our yard and hope to one day have a community garden. You know, that's, that's like our life goal. So, um, yeah, it's still in our life. It's just, uh, different. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I, I joined it about three years ago and it really kind of blew my mind because it connected everything together. Like Heidi was talking about ghosts. Mm -hmm. So, so you talk about, you know, where do you go when you die? And yes. Mm -hmm. Also UFOs, why don't you see them and why? Why are none of the other planets inhabited? You know, and if they're not inhabited, why are they there? It's kind yeah. Of, whereas, you know, everywhere on the earth, <clears throat> there's life, you know, everywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, like the highest mountain, the deepest ocean. And oh, you yeah. Don't... <clears throat> so it's all about like that consciousness exists at different frequencies. So when you die, you have an astral body, mm. right here, your, your aura, and you live at a different frequency, but right here mm. at the same so ghosts can walk through walls and because they're at just a different frequency so when you die you go to the other astral realms which are just right here but a different frequency <laughs> and so and after ascension is the freedom of interplanetary existence which is living on another planet at a different frequency but right there but you can't see them because we're on a very low frequency so it's all about interesting hiding loves hiding loves the idea of and spirits i love the paranormal yeah. i love but i also love spirituality i am an atheist but i am very familiar with lots of different belief systems and what what i i like to know all of my options i've yet to hear one that for me i feel like no one until you die no no one can know what happens and so anyone who says, I know what happens in the afterlife, I'm immediately like, I don't know. And so that's where I get lost a lot in religion because I, I like to know all my options, but I just have a hard time making a decision, you know? <laughs> well, you, the, uh, you can learn astral projection. So you, you can lie down and leave the physical body, huh. project to the other realms. Are, oh, so you like um, meditate? <laughs> Well, most like people, used to, you start out doing it with um, uh, lucid dreaming, and then you go into learn, gradually learn through that to do the projection while you're asleep. Because mm -hmm. when we sleep, you project. We all project when we sleep. Do you lucid dream? No, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I can sometimes. Um, I, I was able to do it a bit when I would uh, think about it during the day and tell myself, I am not asleep right now. You know, mm -hmm. I would just say it to myself lots of times. Then when I would go to bed, maybe the five times it's happened, I would, the thought would cross my mind. I am not asleep right now because I'd said it so many times throughout the day. And then I would become aware of my dreams. That's cool. Yeah. I don't know if there's some books, instructions, a few instructions about it, how to project, but then you go to the other realms, you go up or down. Each chakra is a realm of consciousness. Hmm. And so you leave the body and then you go, so then you can. You know, if you get advanced enough, you can, uh, I've, you know, spoken to yogis who've been doing like mantra and pranayama since they were very young and they mm -hmm. have these abilities. So, yeah, they can kind of tell you. And then when you hear anecdotally about it, it's, uh, it's a lot more like concrete than. That's really interesting. Yeah. That's cool. I didn't know that about you, Jack. Um, oh. I'm a man of many, man of <laughs> We've all got different interests. <laughs> Um, I'll send you the uh, files today. Send me the song. It's quite an important. Uh, yeah, I'll get no. the song. It would be a big anticlimax no. to the end of the show. Yeah, now you can hear it. Yeah, no, I'll send it to you today as soon as we get off here. So, okay. um, thank you so much for having us. We got to have our um, friend come and work with us for the rest of the day. 
and then we're streaming again. Yeah. But um, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your evening. Thanks for including us. We're excited about our second one too. Yes, back in November. So this episode will go out very quickly because as you guys have done it. Do you mind if I, because it's going to look a bit like Mount Rushmore with all four of you in the thumbnail. Do you yeah, mind we'll... if I, do you mind if I pick prominent people and put them? Oh, do, yeah. Course, do whatever yeah, you want. Yeah, you do what you want. Okay. Sure, show. Yes, I guess so. Yeah. 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 All right. right, Have a great day. All right. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye. Mother, father, I've seen signs in the symbols of your faith. Die, nightmares follow like a wraith. Tears of sparrow, brother's blood laid a curse on holy ground. Buried boundless in the mud for the joy of tainted crowns. Go down, Moses, leave the tuning in hope you enjoyed the song and the episode the song will be released next week will be available on all streaming platforms but you can already pre-save please support the artists by following them on social media and adding the song to any playlists you have 
This is a completely free show, and you've listened this far, so I'd really appreciate it if you could pay us back by clicking like and subscribe. And follow at Podsongs on social media platforms, or subscribe to the newsletter podsongs.com for special updates. Or just tell the next person you see about this amazing show where musicians interview their idols and write a song about them. The songs are available for download from the Podsongs website as well, which pays a lot more than the 0.00 whatever we get from Spotify. You can also email me at jack at podsongs.com to give feedback, suggest an artist and guest combos you'd like to hear, or just say hello. We're a listener-supported show, and I'd love to hear from you. A final thanks to my researchers, Dory Verbo and Rosa Marino, my producer, Maurizio Sanicola of Goldmine Records, and musicians, Massimino Vozza and Luigi Falcioni. The next episode will be out soon. In the meantime, you can listen to more amazing episodes in the archives. Until then, have a great day.